0: Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our trying God. A hearty welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Because history has the following announcements. Consistory with deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm. There will be a general congregational meeting on Monday the 22nd of August. Please see the note in your pigeonhole for more details. And this afternoon's service will be led by Brother John DeVos. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together from Hymn 13, verse 1 and 2.
1: Brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship our God. We begin this worship service by confessing our dependence on the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the rulers of the kings on earth. Amen. Let us respond to God's greeting of grace by singing praise to him from Psalm 75, verse 1, 2 and 3. now make a profession of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. We will do so this afternoon with the words of the Nicene Creed, after which we will sing from hymn 28, verse 5 and 7. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Begotten of the Father before all ages. God of God, light of light, true God of true God. Begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made. Who for us men and our salvation came down from heaven and became incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried And the third day he arose according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who from the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets we believe one holy catholic and apostolic church we acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come amen now come before our God in prayer and ask for a blessing over this worship service almighty and trying God we come before you with joy and gladness in our hearts joy because Christ Jesus has made full atonement and joy because each Christian may build on that foundation Lord we know that there are many other things competing for our joy in this life And none of these things deserve our worship, and yet so often they take away from our worship of you. We pray that you will work in all of our hearts the desire and understanding that you alone are worthy of our worship and praise, including attending your house twice each Sunday again. How blessed we are to be able to commune with one another, to be united as the body of Christ, singing praises to your name and joining in thanksgiving and prayer. As we are about to open your word, Lord, we pray that you may soften our hearts, remove distractions from us, give us ears that hear, and let our faith be strengthened, so that we can serve you and our neighbour in a manner pleasing to you. And may your name be hallowed in our worship. Hear us, please, Lord, in his name. Amen. Amen. The sermon which I'll read this afternoon was prepared by Reverend Pole, the minister of our sister church in Mundijong. The scripture reading that he has chosen is Galatians 3, verse 10 to 14. This is on page 1155 of the Guest Bible. So Galatians 3, starting at verse 10. And hear the word of the Lord. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Let us now sing from Psalm 104, verse 8. turn to Lord's Day 24, the text for the sermon this afternoon. This can be found on page 538 of your books of praise. Lord's Day 24. But why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing, even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. Does this teaching not make people careless and wicked? No, it is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I was still a child living in Canada my family visited my grandparents. They were living in a neighborhood with a lot of maple trees. It was autumn and so many of the trees were losing their leaves in preparation for winter. One glorious morning I decided I wanted to earn some money. I saw that their neighbor had a lot of leaves in their front yard So I rang the doorbell and, with a few younger siblings in tow and asked him if he wanted me to rake his leaves. How much, he asked. I don't really know, I said. I'll see how you guys do and I'll decide what to pay you afterwards, he replied. I was pretty excited at the prospect of actually earning some money. So we set to work and soon had a few piles raked together. The neighbor came out, he said, very good. I like seeing kids working hard. I think you deserve a fair rate. So he gave us a handful of coins with a note thrown in. (laughs) All things considered, it was rather generous. So, almost forgetting our rake, we ran off with the money. Imagine that, I thought to myself. All you need to do is show up, work for a bit, and people give you money. We could do this every time and become rich." Of course, being kids, we lost interest pretty quickly, so we didn't do much more work, and we didn't get rich. This story is, of course, somewhat amusing from an adult perspective. We probably didn't actually do that much work, and we certainly weren't consistent. We thought that you could just show up, put in a nominal bit of effort, and get rewarded. It's normal to think that way as a child, There's something in us that wants to have our efforts recognised, even if they were only a spur-of-the-moment thing. Sometimes we never outgrow that childish mentality. We are all reformed people who have had it drummed into us from childhood onwards that you are saved by grace and not by works. We know that theologically, yet the question that the Catechism poses in Lord's Day 24 still resonates with us. Why can our good works not be our righteousness before God or at least a part of it? We get it that overall we're not quite good enough to pass but surely, truly, could they count for something? Why don't we get credit just for showing up? The problem with this way of thinking is that there is only one way that you can quantify your works and that's by comparing with the people around you and you'll always find someone who is better than you are. You will always find someone who is more spiritual, godlier, handles conflict better, loves better, suffers better, and so on. And even if you don't compare yourself with others, you still know that you can always do better. So this question that the Catechism asks us is motivated by a deep restlessness. It comes from a place of confusion, But when you compare yourselves with others, you are looking horizontally. You are disregarding God and his saving work. The more you disregard God, the more you will cling to your own works. And the more you admire your works, the more you will disregard your God. So how you regard your God determines how you regard your works. That is why this little question is central to a proper understanding of faith and true worship. Let's examine this question together this afternoon. So the theme is how you regard your God determines how you regard your works. First point is if you disregard your God, you will admire your works. And secondly, if you admire your God, you will disregard your works. So then if you disregard your God, you will admire your works. Our reading this afternoon makes a startling claim. It says that all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. How can that be? After all, the law was meant to bless, was it not? Yes, it was, if it was kept. Paul is quoting from Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 here. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Deuteronomy 27 and 28 lays out a solemn ceremony in which the people of God were to divide into two groups. Half of the tribes were to stand on Mount Gerizim to pronounce the blessings and half on Mount Ebal to pronounce the curse. This was to remind them of the consequences of not keeping God's law in its entirety, the moral ceremonial and civil parts of it now you would think that would mean everyone would be cursed because the people of God regularly broke his law that also is true but the law also included animal sacrifices for forgiveness God had graciously provided this way for his people to be reconciled to him however it was not meant to be a permanent arrangement As Hebrew 10 verse 4 reminds us, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The sins committed under the Old Testament were genuinely forgiven. But they were not atoned for. That required a greater offering, which came into focus in the suffering servant songs of Isaiah 53. Paul also makes that point in Romans 3 verse 25, when he says that, God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So the Old Testament law with its circumcisions, special feast days and so on was not meant as a permanent arrangement. It was simply meant to point them to God's grace until Christ came as fulfillment of what the law promised. Why did Paul write what he wrote in our text? He was writing to the Galatians. Galatia was an area that is now part of modern Turkey. These Galatians were new converts and at some point they were visited by Jewish Christians. These Jewish Christians basically saw Christianity as an add-on to Judaism instead of a new religion. So they said, you need to keep the law of Moses, at least the most distinctive parts. That means you keep all the ceremonial feasts of the Old Testament calendar, and all males must be circumcised. So they essentially said that if you want to believe in Christ, that's fine, but you need to keep the law to be saved. Bear in mind that this was not as a misunderstanding. These people very clearly disregarded Christ and his sufficiency. They didn't realize that by disregarding Christ, they were also disregarding the Father who sent him. In other words, they were not saved. And they were preventing those who followed them from attaining salvation as well. As it says in 1 John 2, verse 23... No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now you might not think this is particularly relevant to us, but it actually is. We wouldn't say that you need to keep the Old Testament civil and ceremonial laws because these have been abolished in Christ, but we do believe that you should keep the Ten Commandments. But, and here's the critical question... What is your attitude towards them? There are those who would say, if you do not keep the Ten Commandments, you cannot be saved. Of course, we all sin, and so you need to go to Christ for forgiveness. But if you don't keep the Ten Commandments, you cannot be saved. So where does your salvation come from? You might say, from Christ, of course. But if you don't keep the Ten Commandments, you cannot be saved. At that point, it becomes justification by works because it sees something you do as necessary for salvation. You don't really believe that Christ is enough and we might not see it that way, but that's what our reading suggests. And Paul says in our reading that the blessing of Abraham ultimately fulfilled through faith. Faith held on to what God promised in the Old Testament and faith sees it fulfilled in Christ in the new and does not go back to the old. Yet perhaps for some of us we've never really thought our way through our relationship with the law. We feel that we must agree to the statement if you don't keep the Ten Commandments you cannot be saved we feel that if we don't agree with that it must mean that you don't need to keep the Ten Commandments at all. But that is not what the catechism is saying. Instead, it is urging us to think through to the implications of what that kind of statement means. It says, these are the terms. The righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. It's not like the leaf raking example at the beginning where you put where you get part credit for showing up and giving it a go. Instead, the terms here are all or nothing. God demands perfection. That means you can never have an off day. You can never be slack. You can never call in sick. It's perfection all the time. That's what God's law demands. When you say that unless you keep the Ten Commandments, you cannot be saved, That's what you are signing up for. Notice, by the way, that the catechism doesn't just refer to our works. It refers to our best works. Even our best works are imperfect and defiled by sin. That is certainly true of unbelievers, but it's even true of believers. It's even true of all of us. Our best works are imperfect and defiled by sin. Even our best works are only what was due to God in the first place. We read in Luke 17 verse 10, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. They are good in the sense that they originate through Christ's work in our lives, but we are not yet perfected. We may have been set free from the dominion and slavery of sin, but not in this life from the flesh and body of sin, as we can read in Canons of Dort, Chapter 5, Article 1. And part of that imperfection is reflected in how we think about these things. Why don't we see it correctly? Because we don't have a proper understanding of our works. We have an insufficient understanding of the holiness of God, and we have an insufficient understanding of our works. The simple fact is that there is no possibility of man actually keeping the law in its entirety. If you try to live out of its works, you're not virtuous. You're under a curse. We might be inclined to think that someone who does more for God must also be more righteous. But that too is just not the case. Instead, says Paul, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. The truly righteous are those who live out of faith in Christ. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Christ lived a life that was absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Consider how great he is. He was perfect, not just for a moment, but for every moment of his life on earth. He never had an off day. He never spoke rashly. Every word was well considered. Every thought was well considered. Nobody was able to convict him of sin. Imagine how great he really is. Imagine how foreign his goodness must have seemed to those around him. Imagine how the purity and the love of God must have shone through everything he said and did. Imagine, we can't even begin to. And he was wise, so wise. He saw through everything, all the time. He saw through every person who tried to let his or her good works be their righteousness before God, or at least a part of it, and he showed them up. He showed them up so much that they crucified him in the end. Yet he was cursed, not because of his sin, for he had none, but because of our sin. And the law was not cancelled in his case. It was held up completely from beginning to end. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So ultimately, the question is where do you find eternal security? It is only in the justice of God manifested in his curse on the cross that we can feel secure. Only then can we know that our sins have been completely punished. Only then can we know that God is completely vindicated. Only then can we be confident that God is completely satisfied. Anything less than that will never be enough. You won't find salvation anywhere else. Therefore, you won't find eternal security anywhere else either. A proper understanding of these matters is critical to a, he- to a healthy faith life. How you regard your God determines how you regard your works. If you disregard your God, you will admire your works. And if you admire your God, you will disregard your works. That's the second point. So, how do you know that you regard God properly? When you see your flaws but are still confident of your reward. The reward is the presence of God himself, as we read in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. We are rewarded because of Christ. When we are joined to him in faith, his righteousness is imputed to us. That means, even though we are not righteous by nature, God regards us as such. The technical term for that is justification. Romans 4 verse 5, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. It means that our security is firmly anchored in the completed work of Christ. As a result, we are part of the family of God. If you can gain the reward by your works, you can lose the reward by your works. But if you gain the reward by the righteousness of Christ, then it is yours forever. Christ earned that for all of us, and in a sense, it is paid out to us now already. Your ongoing relationship with God is possible through the completed work of Christ. Is this not an astounding and remarkable thought, beloved? We already have the goodwill of our God. God's eternal goodwill is already ours in Jesus Christ. You are a creature, one of God's created things. A mere created being could never earn the presence of God. It is always a favour and an incalculable privilege. That also changes the way we regard our sin, bear in mind that sin is transgressing God's law. Although Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf, that does not make our sins any less offensive to God. As the Canons of Dort, Chapter 5, Article 5 reminds us, by such gross sins, however, we greatly offend God, incur the guilt of death, grieve the Holy Spirit, suspend the exercise of faith, Severely wound our consciences and sometimes for a while lose the sense of God's favour. And once you know the Lord, you will see that more clearly. If you understand the privilege of knowing God, then you will grieve over sin. You will not become defensive. You will not shift blame. You will not point the finger at others. You will not generalise the details. Instead, you will take full ownership of your sin. You will repent from the heart. You will plead with God that he continue his transforming work in your life. You will want to see God honoured in your life. This is really the characteristic of a mature Christian. Mature Christians want to see God honoured in their life. All of our lifestyle problems and all of our immaturity comes from failure in this area. Let's make this very personal. It is an open secret that free reform people drink too much. Habitual drunkenness seems to be a particularly big problem among young Christian men, but they are certainly not the only ones. They already know that it's a sin, so why are they not breaking with it? The reason is because how you regard your God determines how you regard your works. How you regard God has everything to do with whether or not you use alcohol responsibly. Someone who is drunk from time to time is someone with a low view of God. The real reason for drunkenness is not peer pressure. You have to go deeper. It's the result of bad theology. In the end, all sin is a result of bad theology. We don't see God accurately as the one who is both judge and saviour, or we don't see ourselves accurately. We think we are pretty good people who occasionally make a mistake instead of sinners who need salvation. You're probably reasonably happy with yourself. You're trying your best, and overall you're a good guy who just cuts loose every now and then. In other words you admire your works so you don't have a high view of God you disregard God and you admire your works. Maybe you feel guilty sometimes and you resolve to change and that's trying to put up a good work against a bad one and you know what this will never work you are trying to produce the fruits of sanctification apart from justification and that will never work. You will never overcome sin that way. You may change your lifestyle, but you cannot overcome your sin. You've just suppressed it. But if you're truly in Christ, you are justified. And when you really, truly realize what that means, you will be filled with admiration for the God who justifies the ungodly. You will turn to him daily in faith and repentance. And like Moses, you will say, show me your glory. I want to see God, the gracious and compassionate one, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I want to see you in the glory of your forgiveness and your kindness. And he will regard you as righteous. And then you will also produce fruits of thankfulness. Then you will keep the Ten Commandments. Not because you're afraid of not being saved, but because you have been saved and you know that God is pleased by your thankful obedience. And then you will not want to take credit for any of it. You will not want to lay claim to the fruit because you realize it's all Christ. It's His fruit. It doesn't belong to me. It's not mine. It's His. Only a complete salvation can give God His complete glory. He doesn't want us to have any guilt at all. Anything less than that would not glorify him completely. So all of your guilt is taken away in Christ. We are complete in him, and then there is nothing left to add. Either you are a slave or you are a child. But you cannot be both or somewhere in between. The more we understand, the closer we get to absolute certainty. And then you will not be the child who rakes leaves in the homes of the stranger. You will be a son or a daughter of the house. And as Jesus promised in John 8, verse 35 to 36, the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen. Let us now sing from Psalm 92, verse 6 and 7. Us pray, Almighty God and Loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity to again be instructed in your Word. We thank you also for the Heidelberg Catechism, which is used to support and strengthen our faith. Father, we give thanks that you have established your covenant with us. May you continue, we pray, to work in our hearts, both young and old in order that we all may grow in the knowledge of your grace in Christ. Help us to realise that we are not to rely on our own works. Our best works are imperfect and defiled by sin. Grant that we may admire you completely and in so doing disregard any of our works. We pray that we may have fruits of faithfulness in our lives so that your name is glorified. May we understand that any good that you do provide us is purely a gift of your grace. Your purpose for our lives, Lord, is wise, and you ordain everything in the most perfect way. Help us, we pray, to look to you in faith, not only in the good times, but especially when the difficult times come. Please grant us the same spirit of submission that Christ had. Help us to trust in your plan for us and to humbly accept that you are all-knowing. Forgive us when we question your wise purposes. Help us to look to the cross for the answers we need when we are struggling or when we are suffering. We know that your love for us is great, for you sent your only Son to hang on the cross in our place. Help us, we pray, then, to put away our doubts and our questions for your plan for our lives, knowing that you will never forsake us. Lord, we pray for those who are straying from you. May you open their eyes in a way that they have no doubt that you exist. Especially be with those who are under discipline. May you give them an understanding of your grace, Lord, that they may repent and turn back to you. There are others in our congregation, Lord, who are recovering from surgery or who continue to have health concerns. Added to this, there are others of us who carry quiet, unseen burdens. Yet, Lord, we know that you know all and you see all, and nothing is hidden from you. Reassure us, we pray, of your presence, and give us confidence in your fatherly promises. May we all receive encouragement from the cross of our Lord Jesus, knowing that you hold each one of us in the palm of your hand. Lord, we ask also that you will watch over the single members among us. May they too be able to acknowledge the plan which you have for their lives and continue to call on you to help them understand this. We pray and we thank you, Lord, for what you have provided us through our minister, Reverend Poppy. We ask that you may continue to grant him with your grace to be patient, stable and humble to shepherd us here in Southern River. We pray also for your continued blessing, Lord, over the mission work that happens in Papua New Guinea. May the gospel go out and be planted within the hearts of those who hear it so that they may know true joy. To this end, we ask you also, Lord, that you will bless the planned two-day classes that the Reformed Churches of PNG will hold this week. May you guide the discussion that will happen there, that decisions may be made that are of benefit to all and especially help in the spreading of the gospel. We also bring before you the three men who will sit their classes exams. May you bless their preparations and allow a positive outcome so that your churches in PNG may benefit further from these three men. Lord, we pray that you will bless the collection that we will also now have for the ministry of mercy. Help us to willingly contribute, knowing that all the money we earn belongs to you. Help us to be good stewards of what you give to us and may we be faithful in blessing one another. We pray now that you will help us as we go from here, encouraged by the gospel that we have heard today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to help us through the week ahead. Remind us to fear your name and not rely on our own works. Help us to live our lives in thankful obedience and always be looking expectantly for your return. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The offerings for this afternoon is to be received for the ministry of mercy. And following this, our closing song will be hymn 83, verse 1 and 2. Thank you. God's blessing and go in peace the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all Amen